to Macintosh and Mod haven't seen what? The podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Mommy Dearest. The abusive and traumatic adoptive upbringing of Christina Crawford at the hands of her mother, screen queen Joan Crawford, is depicted. Mm. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this movie is maybe the greatest example of... A group of people convinced they were making something incredible mm-hmm. and truly giving us the absolute worst to watch. Mm-hmm. We were promised one of the worst movies ever made, and it delivered. Yeah, they didn't They didn't slouch on that at all. Wow. Yeah, so not good. Where exactly do we start <laughs> to pick apart this movie? I mean, we should start where we always start, which is the writing. This film is an experience. It comes with a lot of mythos. (laughs) And so, like, I mean, we just we got to start with the story, with the writing. That's fair. I will say up front, you know, there's a lot of people who have discussed the controversy surrounding this book for many, Mm -hmm. many years. We're not going to. And that's really because it's incredibly complicated. Yeah, we had a conversation about this because this film is based on one person's account and we don't want to discredit that but there are also other people who are not depicted in this film who are also who also have their version or their experience to the events that take place in this film so it's kind of hard to say like no that didn't happen or no that was completely wrong because this is based on one person's experience so yeah well and more importantly I think we're both of the stance of believe survivors. Absolutely. Always believe survivors. People within own families can have different experiences and abuse can be hidden for so, so long from people. Sure. I mean, I'm one of four and I can tell you that each one of us had different parents. We have the, we all have the same biological parents. We all lived with the same people. We have very different experiences with those people as our parents. And that's completely valid. And we, we all of us can have different views on the exact same event that we all experienced, um, just based on our position within the family, our specific relationship with those other people and what was going on at that time. So that is completely possible. It, uh, one person saying this didn't happen or I didn't experience that with this person as our parent does not negate this person's account. Um, yeah, it's just... It's a lot. What I can tell you is that unequivocally, this movie had no basis mm-hmm. in even the book in which the controversy surrounds. Mm. This is wholesale horseshit. I think the only thing that we can say without a doubt is that Joan Crawford was the biggest bitch in the universe. Because that's been confirmed by multiple people who were not related to her. I won't even go that far because there are so many differing accounts of her. I mean, fair. There are tons and tons of people who have studied Joan Crawford who are like, actually, she was kind of incredible and amazing. So, look, let's just put that issue aside because when you talk about this movie, it turns out (laughs) that you're learning about who might actually be the worst person in Hollywood ever. Fair. And it's not Joan Crawford. Mm-hmm. It's Faye Dunaway. Oh, yes. That we know to be true. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. 
there's a whole lot of blame to go around, but if there's one thing, one theme that you're going to take away from this episode, it's that Faye Dunaway is absolutely the fucking worst. Mm-hmm. The budget for this movie was $5 million. Okay. That is $16,550,000 in today's money. That is not very much money. <laughs> no. And already tells me that there's an issue. Mm-hmm. I will also say that Faye Dunaway, at one point, speaking about the movie, which she has rarely ever done, mm-hmm. said that when she got there, the director and producers were already like rapidly shifting timetables and shoving in scenes, including a scene that was cut from the final film in which mother and daughter reconcile, Mm. which does come from the book. And they filmed all of that. And Faye was like, um, I think we're missing the point here (laughs) that we need to have all this other stuff in order to emotionally play that scene. Fair. I don't think she's necessarily wrong. It's like, that's already an early warning signal. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Of how everybody here does not know what the fuck they're doing. Some of the reviews are incredible. Mm-hmm. Variety. Quote, Dunaway does not chew scenery. Dunaway starts neatly at each corner of the set in every scene and swallows it whole, co-stars and all, unquote. Uh, that's not subtle. <laughs> Ebert gave it one and a half stars. Quote, I don't know why anyone would want to see this movie, unquote. Ooh, okay. <laughs> That's not subtle. Uh, this is this is so funny because the producer uh, actually took Ebert on a tour of the set, which he claimed cost $480,000. He's walking through and he singles out a single piece of furniture, looks at Ebert and says, that was an original throne chair for Cecil B. DeMille's 1956 The Ten Commandments. The producer says, quote, what did we do? We painted it white. It looks perfect in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? Uh, okay. You ready to go through this Hollywood mess? Are we ever really ready? <laughs> Upon the terrible reviews for the film, audiences began to take cans of Ajax and wire hangers to the screenings and began to participate in it just as they had with Rocky Horror. I kind of love that so much. The film became more famous for being a queer camp classic than its intended purpose, and Paramount seized the opportunity when they saw people going to the screenings, they were like, we got to make some money back. Fair. So they took the advertising and changed the tagline of the movie to, quote, meet the biggest mother of them all, unquote. That's so cheesy in the best way. Writer and producer Frank Yablins, the gentleman we just spoke about who showed off the Hollywood set classic turned into a piece of prop furniture. Mm Mm-hmm. He was infuriated. He sued Paramount for defamation, claiming the ads were, and listen to this quote, obscene, vulgar, offensive, salacious, and embodied a racial slur of the poorest taste, unquote. I mean, that's also not subtle at all. What? (laughs) Okay. He claimed $5 million in damages and demanded the ads be withdrawn. I believe they settled out of court. Oh, what a fucking mess of a movie. I love it. Because <laughs> it's just hilarious. Look, the only way to go see this movie and enjoy yourself is to have cans of Ajax that you throw at the screen and slam wire hangers around. I'm here for this. I think more films should be done a la Rocky Horror. And dress up like Joan Crawford. Like, I mean, I'm not going that far. That's a lot of 
It's a lot of work. <laughs> she has some incredible looks. Oh. I won't lie. Oh, absolutely. But, but uh, no. uh, all right, let's let's mention the writing. Mm-hmm. We talk about Christina Crawford, who wrote the book, of course. Uh, she actually wrote her own screenplay for this film, but then they refused to use it. Okay. Uh, and she got no royalties from this film. How is that possible? She only got the book rights. They only contracted for that. Yeah, that's a bad contract. Again, I they slapped this together with no forethought. No, I get that, but like the fact that like they made a film based on her book and she didn't get anything out of it, that's fucked up. Well, to be fair, she did get money, mm-hmm. but only for the book rights, not for actual film profits. Okay. Weird. It, well, it is. It's very weird. But again, it just shows $5 million is not a lot of money for a movie that's supposed to be this big a fucking deal. Mm-hmm. So our screenplay is written by that producer that we talked about. Okay. Frank Yaplins. Mm-hmm. His only other writing venture is North Dallas 40. But I will say he was one hell of a producer. He was a former president of Paramount Pictures. Mm-hmm. And then spun off and created UPI, one of the most successful distribution groups in movie history. His five years as the head of Paramount led to The Godfather, Chinatown, Paper Moon, Serpico, Death Wish, Lady Sings the Blues, Murder on the Orient Express, and The Longest Yard. Wow, that's pretty cool. Some of the biggest hits of the 70s. The TV department reported to him he also helped produce Star Trek, The Odd Couple, Mission Impossible, Love American Style, and the pilot for Happy Days. <laughs> That's cool. Then, after all of this, he goes to work for MGM United Artists as their CEO and helps them develop War Games, Octopussy, A Christmas Story, and Red Dawn. Uh, guy, guy's good at what he does. And yet, why is he writing this film? So he can get the money. <sighs> uh, we also have Frank Perry. This is his only writing credit. We'll mention him later because he's our director. Mm-hmm. We have Tracy Hotchner. He created the TV series Big Seamus, Little Seamus. <laughs> okay. The 70s have some like TV stuff just strewn about in the ether that's weird as shit. Yeah, that sounds about right. And probably our most notable writer on this film, there are four, is Robert Getchell. Before this, he wrote Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, Bound for Glory, And then Alice the Television Show, which is loosely based around Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Mm -hmm. After this, he writes Sweet Dreams, Stella, Point of No Return, This Boy's Life, and The Client. Okay. What do we think of the writing of this movie? It's god awful. Oh my god. Like, the, the only thing that I think is done really well is showing how Joan's outburst could come from literally nowhere. And so, like, they do a good job of, like, here's a really good, like, a scene that's, like, oh, this feels really, like, good, you know, with, you know, it's just mother and daughter. And then it gets turned into something else. And so I feel like they did that a couple times. That was actually really good because you're, like, oh, okay. That was just, like, a one-off. Oh, no. This happens all the time. Um, And just, like, there are moments where, like, Christine is just, like, bracing for impact. And you can just see it all over her face. And that's written very well i I, maybe but i don't feel like that's the writing i i think there's a hint of it that has to be in the writing because our actors suck (laughs) like i guess there's a core of it but i think the problem is that 
again, it's so it's so slapdash and thrown together. And to be fair, there apparently was a lot more in the movie that got hacked out mm-hmm. because they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Mm-hmm. I well, okay, so I think the biggest issue is that they really missed the point of their story that they were trying to tell, which is that like Joan is a tyrant and she was abusive. Like that's the story they're trying to tell. Like that's it. But you've got to make that interesting. And this is not. And one of the thing, I think the best thing in the film that they completely didn't set up well at all is at the end when they're sitting there at the will and it's like, well, I guess she got the last up because she got completely cut out of it. And then Christina looks at her husband and goes, well, does she? Does she get the last say? Because that's where this film becomes, uh, you know, a, a slap in the face to Joan because it's like, oh, you're dead now. You don't get to decide what people say about you anymore. And that would have been interesting to have the whole film lead up to that. But it didn't do that. Well, <laughs> so number one also tells you how bad a job they did, because guess what, Dinah? That's her brother. Is it? That's her brother in that okay. scene, not her yeah. husband. I took it as her husband. Whatever. <laughs> um, I, I, no, I don't feel bad at all. for not. No, because they didn't give you any fucking clues about it. Yeah. Number two is they missed the boat on how nuanced Christina's account is. Yeah. Christina's account was not she is a tyrant. Mm-hmm. Christina's account was she was a deeply fucked up woman who abused us and also loved us. Mm-hmm. Christina's account, by all by by everybody's measure, is not horribly. I mean, it's damning, but it's also balanced. Mm-hmm. It's looking at all of it and recognizing a lot of where Joan's issues came from were how she came up. Sure, and not so much that she was abused, but that she came up in a such a difficult way of getting raised like Mm -hmm. she lived really poor yeah and all of these things were triggering once she got this level of control sure so there's so much depth and nuance from what the story was and i mean the most damning thing here is christina's reaction to the movie afterwards Mm -hmm. quote my mother didn't deserve that dunaway's performance was ludicrous I didn't see any care for factual information. Now I've seen it. I'm sorry I did. Faye says she is being haunted by my mother's ghost. After her performance, I can understand why, unquote. Hmm. I, I mean, yeah, see, like, the film doesn't say that all. It doesn't show, like, it doesn't, it, sh- it does show, like, Christina's conflict with what is shown as Joan being very hypocritical. But it doesn't show her, like, I don't, she does try, but ultimately, like, I think she does try to just like love her mother and like kind of be at a pace, place of peace with her, but it's always at her expense. And it's just, it's not nuanced at all. There's so much more going on in that story mm-hmm. of a woman who wants, from what I've just been able to gather, right? And I've, I have not read the book, so I can't say yeah. this 100% certain. And Christina has kind of, changed around how she's she's talked about it and viewed it and that makes sense it's been many years she's evolved over time Mm -hmm. but i think the impression that i've gotten from the sort of middle ground is joan is a woman who did really want kids who did really want to do this and then also was a complete control freak Mm -hmm. in the worst way yes 
And that because of that, it created this volatile mix that was terrible for these kids to be around. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I think is is really the story here. And to me, the whole thing about it is is that you can feel one way or the other about it. Mm -hmm. But making a movie that's just a takedown isn't useful or interesting to anyone. Instead, telling the story and letting the audience figure out how they feel about all of it. Mm-hmm. That's the interesting way to make this story. But everybody saw big giant dollar signs. Sure. Because it's more, and, I mean, and in a lot of ways, it's more interesting to be like, oh, this woman who you all thought was awesome is really the devil. Like to the point where the wire hangers, mm-hmm. Christina says that never, that she never hit her with, mm-hmm. that it was a thing. Yeah. She didn't want wire hangers in the house. Sure. But she was like, that never happened. It was never escalated to that level. And you're just like, really? So you're, so the most iconic moment in this movie is overhyped. <laughs> totally. That is one where I could see them having a really hard time with only depicting her as being psychologically and emotionally abusive and being like, well, for the audience to really understand how bad this is, because there, there, there are definitely generations of people who are like, so your mom was mean to you. Get over it. Your mom wanted you to clean. Well, that's the person who's, you know, taking care of you. So get off your ass and clean. Like there, there is an element of an audience that would don't be like, that's not emotional abuse. That's just the way parenting is. So to get it to a place that people would, more people may respond to, they felt like they had to go the physical abuse around. I'm not saying that's right, but I can, I can understand that decision. Well, let's be very clear that most of these decisions are bad. They're all bad. But also lay at one very specific person's feet. Sure. And it's not our writers. Mm-hmm. But first, we need to talk about our director, mm-hmm. Frank Perry. Before this, he directed David and Lisa, Ladybug, Ladybug, Last Summer, Trilogy, Diary of a Mad Housewife, Play It As It Lays, and Rancho Deluxe. After this, Monsignor, Compromising Positions, Hello Again, and On the Bridge. This movie is made like a cheap direct-to-video 80s film. Yeah. It is so god-awfully directed. And I should note, this man was nominated for an Oscar at one point. Whoop-de-doo. This is a man who had been in Hollywood for many years. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you don't have an eye for fucking anything. No, he doesn't. Other than <gasps> glamour shots. Okay, well, the glamour shots are important. They are, except they happen every two minutes. There's in the beginning, I feel like that was important, but then they yeah. do go on too much. Like I get like, oh, we want to we we got to paint Joan as like this loving mother who's just occasionally a little stressed and a clean freak and very particular. And then it like, oh no, it's not that's not just that. Yeah, and and look, it's Joan fucking Crawford. You're not going to get away with not having some moments and set pieces. Sure. My problem is they'll be in the middle of a conversation. Mm-hmm. A normal conversation, and they will do a five-second close-up before a line gets spoken. It's so bad. Yeah, it's weird. It, it is bizarre. Like the writing's just general grade bad. The directing goes to this whole new weird level. We're like halfway through the movie, you're like. What's he going to fucking do next? Because I have no clue what this guy's thinking. Mm-hmm. It's uh, okay. You know what it is? 
it's it's like cocaine. It's just like watching somebody on huge amounts of cocaine figuring out what they're gonna do next. Love it. It's like cocaine. This movie's like cocaine. That's what it feels like, right? That's some bad fucking cocaine. <laughs> just gonna say it. The directing might be one of the most bizarre parts of this movie. <laughs> no, I don't understand any decision this man is making. We do have a who could have been better here. Franco Zeffirelli, who is a garbage human and should be thrown in a lake. Okay. But he wanted to paint Joan as a glamorous Hollywood martyr, which Christina absolutely wouldn't agree to. I mean, good. That's going too far in the other direction. Yeah. And I, I will say that was something that was common uh, for many people who were approached about the movie. Mm-hmm. At this point, the book came out in, I believe, like 76 or 77, right before Joan died. Mm-hmm. Um, and without, again, without getting into too much of the controversy, many, many people around Hollywood circled around Joan. Okay. Uh, partially, I think, because of how they felt the timing was partially because of the will issues. And again, this is in a different time before we actually tried to, you know, believe what survivors said sure. and different things like that. Um, and also, there were many, many people making movies who looked at it and were like, we're not just going to do a hatchet job on Joan. Mm-hmm. And that's what the producers wanted. Yeah, well, that was Christina didn't. Them. To her credit, I don't think this Christina did. I think Christina wanted somebody to make her book into a film. But the producers were clearly looking to just hack Joan to pieces. Yeah, because there's a world in which you make this film and you make it about a famous Hollywood actress, but you don't specifically make it who it is. And you can then then people can just infer. I mean, there's that. I think also it's just if if they had given enough care and thought to it, I think people would have been involved. We'll get into some of the who could have been betters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, ultimately, what it came down to is the people making this movie were like, no, she's a monster and we're going to make her a monster. And literally everyone was like, we're not okay doing that. Mm-hmm. Some of them probably just because like, I'm not, I'm not throwing my career in the garbage to do that. I get that. And like I said, from everything I can see, that's not the story. No. But these guys thought it was fucking white dudes, fucking white studio executives. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Don't let producers and execs write movies. Unless they were writers first. Even then, not a great idea. Mm. Now let's talk about our cast. Because if the writing was bad Mm -hmm. and the directing is bizarrely awful, Mm -hmm. our cast is truly some of the most horrific stuff. I mean, yeah, so bad. This this is acting so bad it's good. Mm -hmm. And we start. With Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. We have talked about Faye Dunaway before. Mm -hmm. We talked about her in Network. You didn't like her. I actually kind of found her intriguing. Talked about her in Bonnie and Clyde. Kind of drug that movie down a bit. Yeah. We're not always the greatest fans of her. But tonight, Diana, tonight we're going to learn about why she's garbage. Oh, well, okay. But before we get there, what do we think of Faye Dunaway's performance in this movie? It's definitely over the top. It's almost like she's playing a cartoon version of Joan Crawford. And I think it it really feels like it's her mouth. Like her mouth (laughs) feels off. And I don't, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's just me looking at it in a weird way, but I was like, that's what it 
feel? Why? Bless her heart, she thought she was doing something. I mean, she was doing something. She poured so much into this role Mm -hmm. and missed it entirely. Yeah. (laughs) It's one of those most astounding things where you're like, this person has clearly done... It's akin to the part that we watched of Anna de Armas and Blonde. Mm. And yeah. to be fair to Anna, I think Anna was actually like actually dove into the source material she had to work with. And mm-hmm. like, I-, I think it's a different case study. But this is truly just one of these amazing examples of somebody who just gave everything to the character yeah. and completely did not fucking get what the character was. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Like, she's clearly giving all the effort. Yeah. It's just not very good. No one around her is able to match that. Mm-hmm. And even if they were, it's so off the mark for what the movie should be. Yeah. Because like we talk about, a little, a really great actress would have come in here and seen, okay, look, I get that the movie is taking this approach of a hatchet jack. Mm-hmm. But I also know that the only way to make this character interesting is to continue to try to get the audience's sympathy. Yeah. Even after the unspeakable has occurred. Mm-hmm. And again, when you see that character through line, if you're going to play it correctly, you go, I'm always going to stick to this one thing of control is so crucial and important to me because it's the only way I ever made it in life. Yeah. Right? Like that is Joan's biggest through line as a person. No matter what you think about her, that is clearly the issue at hand. So if you see that, then you're able to play all those different moments in that vein. Mm-hmm. Faye just threw all of that out the window. Like she just looked at that and was like, mm, no, I'm just going to do exactly what all of this is. I'm going to make her bigger and bolder than anybody else that's ever been. I mean, good for you, lady. But, but it doesn't work. No, it does not. It's so terrible. And again, she is so overacting that she's outshining everyone else in every other scene she's in. Yeah. To the point where it's laughable. Ugh. I'm giggling the whole time I see her on screen. But more importantly, Faye revealed her true monstrous self while making this film. Oh, joy. So her attitude is the exact opposite of Joan's in how Joan acted on set frequently. Joan was quite well known for being sweet, soft-spoken, and almost humble and shy to the media around her. Um, That worked really well because she had a rags-to-riches story. Mm -hmm. Co-star Rutanya Alda with Faye Dunaway said, quote, Joan got her way in a ladylike way. Faye was despised because she was so rude to people. Everyone was on pins and needles when she worked, and everyone relaxed when she didn't. I wish Faye had learned from Joan, unquote. Hmm. And Alda knows of what she speaks of. She'd actually worked with Joan Crawford in the 50s and met and spoke with Joan when Joan visited the set of Rosemary's Baby. Oh, okay. So that's, that's the part of, like, missing the character, Mark. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're going to play Joan, it's like, Joan was not just this complete hot-headed tyrant. Mm-hmm. At least not in the public image. So all of this like posing in front of the studio execs and shit and the grandiose. I just, I'm so thankful for y'all. That's not how she was. She was just like, she's got Anne Hathaway vibes is what that sounds like to me. Or Jennifer Lawrence Hmm. in the 40s where it was like, you know, I came up from nothing 
and I'm just here and I'm making movies and I'm so thankful to be in Hollywood. That's how she was on set. And then with all of the charity work and different stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yes, she was glamorous, but she had that element, which would make her awfulness all the more powerful. Oh, sure. (sighs) Then there's the choking scene. Mm. That one got particularly problematic. Per Alda, quote, when Jocelyn Brando saw me go down after Faye hit me, she said, I can't afford to be injured. I just spent six months in the hospital. Initially, Frank, the director, wanted both me and Jocelyn to pull her off Diana, but she saw Faye was out of control and said, no way. We did maybe 10 takes and Frank had to deal with it because Faye wasn't going to change what she was doing. I got knocked down maybe twice. She hit me hard in the chest. Unacceptable. Mm Mm-hmm. Unacceptable. This woman was completely out of control Mm. and chalked it up to the performance. Yeah. I have to prepare for my greatest role. Like anybody who who does fight scenes on a regular basis, like you understand that occasionally you're going to get a punch. You're going to get one. It's going to happen. But when that happens, it's always that we need to reset. We need to recalibrate. We need to like acknowledge that that is not what's supposed to be happening. Because, like, people are humans. Shit happens. People miss their cues. People get too slow or get too fast. Mm-hmm. But to decide, does my, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, regardless of how it affects the other person in the scene, is like, one, that's just not acting. No. At all. And that's fucking dangerous. It's not okay. It's not okay to have an actor on set who's not, like, ver- who's not concerned with other people's safety and how they affect that. There aren't any notes about it, but... I I don't want to think about what Diana Scarwood was going through while being choked in that scene. Mm. Alda actually wrote her own diary and released that later. That is how we know all about all of this shit. Mm, okay. And I'm sure there's more stories. There wasn't as much in the trivia, but like I'm I believe it goes much much deeper on how ridiculous this movie got. Mm. Uh, here's another case in point of Faye's stupidness. Right before production began, after millions had already gotten committed, Dunaway suddenly threatened to pull out of the role, unless her then-husband Terry O'Neill was given a production credit. Okay. After some tense negotiations, Dunaway got her demand, and Terrence O'Neill was credited as a producer, despite not producing anything on the film. Okay, good for him. I guess... Betty Davis actually had worse things to say about Faye Dunaway. Oh, okay. On The Tonight Show in 1988, Johnny Carson asked, who was her least favorite person in Hollywood? Quote, Faye Dunaway. And anyone else who sits here will say exactly the same thing. Unquote. Interesting. She wouldn't even say Joan. Yeah. And she hated Joan. Oh, they hated each other. But she hated Faye more. Fair. Which tells you. So here's the thing about like professional feuds like that. There's a there's a reason why you hate somebody like that. It's because you feel like they're getting something that you deserve. Uh, and some of that can just be like straight up jealousy or like I'm always up against that person. I'm always up against that person. And sometimes it's because you you the jealousy and the ire comes from like you think that they're not good enough or you worried that you're not good enough. But it usually, a lot of times, it can come from a place of, I just don't want to lose to that person. And it's usually from a place of respect. Like, man, they're good, but I don't want to lose to them. I don't want to lose to them. And from everything that I know about the 
Betty Davis and Joan Crawford feud, that's ultimately what it was. Yeah. They were just two sides of the same coin and they didn't want to be pitted against each other because they could not stand to lose to the other. Yeah. This is not that. (laughs) No. This This is is Betty Davis looking at this younger actress being like, I don't think about you at all. No, no, no. But like that, that's where it comes from. It's like, I fucking hate Joan Crawford, but I respect her talent. I respect Mm -hmm. her game. I don't have any fucking respect for you, Faye Dunaway. That's what that is. No. Which is hilarious. Uh, Awesome. uh, Dunaway also frustrated costume designer Irene Sheriff, who we have mentioned for an American in Paris and West Side story. She probably gets the best thing in this movie because those costumes are awesome. Yeah, bitch knows what she's doing. Irene Sheriff is amazing. Per Irene Sheriff, quote, Yes, you may enter Miss Dunaway's dressing room, but first you must throw a raw steak in to divert her attention, unquote. I love that so much. At one point, she apparently left in tears because of some of Faye's horrible outfit decisions. Ugh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, This prompted an assistant of Sheriff's to mock Faye, uh, screaming out one of Faye's common refrains quote clear the set Ugh. now on the flip side here i gotta say Faye did commit to the bit every day she had a 4 a.m makeup call Mm -hmm. for three hours of makeup and hair Mm -hmm. to look like joan crawford and i'll be damned if they didn't nail it they they 100 nailed it she looks exactly like joan Mm mm-hmm during the wire hanger scene, she screamed so much she lost her voice. They had to call in none other than Frank Sinatra to help advise on how to get her voice back. That makes sense. Now, Faye was absolutely 100% convinced she was going to win the Oscar for this movie. Of course she was. So much so that her contract required paramount to take out trade ads in variety and the hollywood reporter campaigning for an oscar nomination i love that i love that that no i mean it's insane but i love that it's in her contract that they have to do that well it's insane there and then it's doubly ridiculous when the movie tanks and the critics hate it oh yeah (laughs) and they still have to do it it morphed into a cult camp classic uh, both the marketing efforts for the film and the terrible reviews made her furious. To date, other than rare circumstances, like maybe two times she's mentioned it, and once is in her memoirs, mm-hmm. she refuses to speak about the film. Reporters who speak to her are told the film is completely off limits. She will get up and walk out if Mommy Dearest is brought up. I mean, fair. There. It's, a hu- it's a huge letdown for herself and her career. I'm sure she knows all about, you know, conversations like the one we're having now. And she's like, she either is go- wants to deny all of it. So and she knows she can't. So she's just going to pretend it doesn't exist. Well, she never really had a comeback from this. Nope. I mean, she she has she has acted and she has maintained, you know, been able to still do things and, and be in performances. But she never had another, you know, big presence like mm-hmm. she had in the 60s and 70s. Oh, yeah. No. It was just gone after this movie. And like that part of it, you know, I well, I would feel bad. I would feel bad. You know, you make mm-hmm. a mistake. You you really devote yourself and you totally treat everyone terrible. Except recently she was fired from a Broadway production because she was being abusive to her castmates. Yeah, I can't like 
you can have a bad situation. Everyone's allowed to be a dick like once. Christian Bale. Yeah. You're you're allowed to have a bad fucking day that follows you for a long time. Um, you don't get to continually be a jackass and not learn from your mistakes. Like everyone's had a bad nope. day. Everyone's been everybody is somebody's villain. That's just not I mean, except for maybe Tom Hanks. <laughs> and even that's not true. <laughs> but, like if like you've proven that this is not like an isolated instance. In- nope. Incident. Nope. So fuck off. <laughs> you do not have to hand it to Faye Dunaway. Nope. 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 Who could have been better? <gasps> that's hard. <laughs> After fighting through 10 different rewrites and refusing to be in a hatchet job of one of the most famous people in Hollywood, stating that the project was too unsympathetic. Mm-hmm. Anne Bancroft. Oh, yeah, that hurts. She she went in trying to do it, but she kept going those producers. And I guarantee you, it's the producers who are mm-hmm. pitching it as this total maniacal fantasy. Like that is where I won't put all the blame on Faye. No, you can't. They've clearly positioned it this way, and Faye's the only person who was like, fine, I'll do it. Because she calculated, she thought, this is going to be my moment. Sure, it's, but it, there's also an element of like, yeah, it can't be all her fault because there's a director there to rein you in. And that's what a director's supposed to do. Like, I'm going to, I want you to amplify or I want you to like, to turn it down. Like, that's what you're supposed to do in a given scene. That's ultimately the director's job. and. Nobody showed up on set to do that job. And like there are lots of arguments, but that's where you you start to understand that the movie itself was doomed mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it can be icky to hear. But I think Bancroft rightly saw and, and why she was willing to sign on to the project in the first place was she mm-hmm. was willing to go into the role if it was going to be thoughtful. Yeah. And intrigued with that. And it would be, you know, interesting to hear Christina's thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. but regardless it's just like Anne wasn't going to do this movie if it was just going to be what it wound up being which was totally just saying Joan's the worst person that ever lived sure no numerous other actresses that weren't named turned the role down because of that issue I, I completely agree and Anne was the only person who tried yeah no she would have been amazing Man. she really would have that would have been something all right let's talk about these other actors which Mm-hmm. We start with Diana Scarwood as the adult Christina Crawford. Before this, she was in Pretty Baby, Honeysuckle Rose, and Inside Moves. After this, Strange Invaders, Rumblefish, Silkwood, Psycho 3 did a ton of TV movies, What Lies Beneath, A Guy Thing, and Party Monster. Oh, she's in Party Monster? Okay. What do we think of Diana Scarwood in this movie? She's so rigid. Oh, <laughs> She's so rich. Now, to be fair, she has no script to work with. None. I think her best scenes were the ones where she's in the soap opera. (laughs) (laughs) Because Uh, her acting style worked for it. Exactly. And it's just hilarious. That and she gets the amazing line delivery of, Why can't you treat me? I would be treated by any stranger on the street. Because I am not one of your fans. Yeah, that she did that really well. She did that one good. But like, I almost think she's so terrified of being in the room with Faye. 
fair. Which that I mean, she that... can't actually give a performance. Yeah. I don't know. She she's such a young actress at this point. Yeah. And I will say what's interesting is everybody else in the movie bought into like the camp cult classic part of it and talks mm-hmm. about it and, you know, goes and does stuff. And Diana was one of those people. And the interesting thing is Faye, her career basically got cut short here. Yes. Everybody else went on to keep working just fine because they all acknowledged, man, what a turd we made. All right. Well, yeah. <laughs> which is which is totally valid. It's just like that's a thing we all survived. Exactly. And if Faye had done that, if Faye had had the presence of mind, first of all, to take the time and then come back and be like, you know what? I fucked up. Like, I am so sorry. I really, for whatever reason, uh was an asshole. And I I I could have done better. I could have done and, better. And then later bought in and been like one of these amazing cult campy characters like or just like accepted the fact like i did a thing and people like it for a variety of reasons (laughs) and just i enjoy that you enjoy it okay like that's it that's the only enjoyment i if man if she could have been a person who'd been like i'm gonna fucking host a uh of a viewing and i'm gonna provide the props do you know how much fucking fun that would be she only had to do it one time one time be a good sport about a shitty thing one time it it, it still would have taken her some time she would have been in timeout for a while deserved oh, um yeah. but it, she could have she could have come back but again but she's no. a garbage person a garbage so that's person. not possible no garbage people don't get to come back um i i mean look she's trying but i don't there's nothing to diana scarwood's performance no but i don't blame her like i mostly i'm just like i'm so sorry i i hope i'm glad you got a paycheck and i'm glad you got other jobs uh we have a who could have been better here mm-hmm. this is before we get to the faye dunaway and frank perry if it was the zeffirelli version mm-hmm Mia Farrow was approached. Oh, interesting. Especially with Anne Bancroft, that would have been great. Right? Yes. Ooh. Be- well, be- especially because Mia Farrow can be unleashed. But there is such a quietness to Mia Farrow that you really do need to have for Christina. Christina has to be both a prop <laughs> and a weapon at the same time. Well, and again, in a much more nuanced, thoughtful film. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a great counterplay mm-hmm. with with the grown up Christina to finally break out of that shell. Sure. We then have Mara Hobel as the child Christina Crawford. Before this, she was in the hand. After this, she's become a bit player, but she's appeared in Personal Velocity, Kinsey, The Happening and True Story. Okay. What do we think of child Christina in this movie? She's fine. She is absolutely fine. She is a child actor working in an awful situation. She's absolutely fine. I will not say anything bad about her performance. That child is in danger. Yeah, spoiler alert. We're going to have to be mad at some people about that later. Fair, but I I am not going to shit on a kid that is clearly in a shitty situation. Uh, (laughs) Her delivery of that lion after the wire hanger scene yeah jesus christ yeah jesus christ 
is one of the it's the most little rascal shit mm-hmm. <laughs> like i'm like why did we put this here that scene is gut-wrenching and i get like the scenes that are super heightened, that moment, the mm-hmm. cutting of the hair and stuff like that. Yeah. Those moments hit. They they hit so hard because, again, it's really that, like, this is such emotional and psychological abuse. But, like, everybody knows someone, like, maybe this is more of a, a, a girl growing experience, but everyone has a parent that you know did something like this. Who you know they made they did something like that to them, and well, and then, but then they counterbalance it with just the stupidest bullshit. Yeah, it's these moments of like, why did you whiplash that so hard? Mm-hmm. Why didn't you let it sit for half a second? And it's because nobody here knows what the fuck they're doing. No, agreed. They I mean, that goes back to the director. The directing choices get so bizarre because you have these moments where it's like. Jesus, we just went through all that. And then it's like, Jesus Christ, what am I watching? (laughs) There's a part of me that kind of gets it from like, there's a point where it's like, what they're trying to do with Christina is make sure that she is aware to the audience, to make sure that we know that she realizes this is not normal. No. Like this is, I am in a fucked up situation. But having a little kid do that instead of like the adult Christina doing that makes it a cartoon it it does it it and makes it less believable and finally for the biggest plank of wood performance i've ever seen mm-hmm. steve forrest as greg savitt mm-hmm. before this he did tons of bit parts in the 50s then did all the tv through the 60s and 70s but his biggest claim to fame was swat on television in the mm. 1970s okay After this, he was in Sahara, Spies Like Us, Amazon Women on the Moon, Storyville, and he, of course, had an appearance in 2003's SWAT. Okay. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. I have never seen an actor soak so much energy out of a given scene. Mm -hmm. This is not a man who seems to be, like, from the Northeast, but he drops in to that 1930s... Upper East Side yeah. accent, yeah. darling, and yeah. you're like, "What the fuck are you doing? Why did they not get somebody who actually like could play a character to do this?" Because they had no money, you know. I the Faye. clearly all all of the money went into Faye and the sets and, and those all eyebrows, of that. and nobody thought about, "Hey, this guy who you're making like a clear big subplot of this movie." Maybe you ought to get an actor who, I don't know, can actually co-op against her. But no, but let's be clear. That's a very small list of people who can go up against Faye Dunaway, especially when Faye Dunaway is doing this. Those men would not be cheap, especially in a film like this. And they did not have a big budget. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. I, you just sit there and you go, jeez, y'all. I, I, at the very least, though, I feel like you could have found somebody who mm-hmm. understood a film presence enough, because I think the problem here is I don't think this guy knows how to act on film. I think he knows how to act on TV. But like there's a level of you can get somebody who's competent enough because mm-hmm. he doesn't need he doesn't need to outshine Faye. No, I, he, he doesn't just... need to outshine whoever Joan Crawford is. 
but he does need to be able to like not get just completely devoured in the moment there needs to be an element of he's a person he's a he's one of maybe a very tiny group of people who can say no to joan and that will land now does that mean he's not he's going to pay for it later absolutely Mm -hmm. But but it means someone who can stop her in her tracks for at least a moment um and they they really just kind of played him off definitely not in that way well i just he's incapable of performing that this this is a man who is like a third rate like richard krenna type like he's a b actor of b actors and i'm sorry he just he cannot meet this moment at all then we talk about our arpons howard da silva as lb mayor uh, he originated Judd Fry in Oklahoma. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Ratanya Alda playing Carol Ann. She is the assistant who also mm. wrote the diary about why we know all of this. She has this amazing career of being in so many great movies, but never getting a lead. Hey, like that's a whole career. Yeah, but like she was pushing for bigger roles. Sure. And couldn't ever get it. So that that's why I say it's interesting is like she was always pushing for this big moment and she never found one. I mean, half half of the people in Hollywood are people who went for big things and they like them, so they just gave them the smaller role. Like that's it. That's all it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. you know what? That's a career, mm-hmm. and it's not a bad one. We have Michael Edwards playing Ted Gelber. He was the older John Connor in Terminator Two: Judgment Day. Oh, okay. Jocelyn Brando as Barbara Bennett, the journalist. She is the older sister of Marlon Brando. Oh, okay. She struggled with alcoholism, as did their parents, but she did get to uh, perform in a number of shows on stage and screen. So she pops up here. This is one of her last film roles. Mm. Priscilla Pointer as Mrs. Chadwick. She, she's been in Carrie, Twilight Zone, the movie, Blue Velvet, and she might make an appearance later. Xander Berkeley as Christopher Crawford, the adult version, the brother at the end with the will, He's been an Arpon. He was an Arpon in our last season mm, okay. in both Heat and Gattaca. He's the doctor at the end of Gattaca. Oh, okay. Yeah. And this is his debut movie. Jeez. I love it. Nicholas Mayle as an assistant director number two on one of the sets. He might pop up later too. Okay. Just down the road. Think about that. We have Alice Nunn playing Helga. She is Large Marge from Pee Wee. Oh, wow. And Eileen Woods as an elderly audience member, the original voice of Cinderella. Mm. Now, Diana. Uh Uh-oh. Awards. Awards? Not possible. Oh, but it's a different kind of awards. What? This is a nine-time Razzie nominee. (laughs) You know... We're going to have to start doing the Razzie Awards mm-hmm. in conjunction with our Oscar. Um, I think so. I think we're just I think we're just at a place where we get very snooty about our movies, which is fair. It's okay. Like we love a dumb movie. We love a fucking dumb movie. I think yeah, I think it's time to decide is this the worst thing. <laughs> we're going to try it once and see how much we hate it. <laughs> well, and I'll tell you, this is this was not only a nine-time Razzie nominee in the second ever Razzie Awards. 
Oh, okay. But it was a two-time legacy nominee as well. Oh, well. Because it is widely considered as one of the worst films ever made. Okay. Oh, for 1981, the Razzie Awards, Mara Hobel as young Christina was nominated for Worst New Star and Worst Supporting Actress. That's fucked up. It's fucked up. We've talked about this. I appreciated finally that the Razzies last year said uh, they they nominated one of the kids from Firestarter, mm. the lead in that, and they got lots of backlash, mm-hmm. and rightfully so. Yeah. And the Razzies heard it, and they said, you know what? It is fucked up. It's really fucked up. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do it anymore. So what they did, they said, okay, the Razzie Award winner for Worst Actress this year is the Razzies. You did a bad. For making that stupid decision. You acknowledge the bad. Mm-hmm. And you, like, yeah. So, like, that's, you make yourself the joke. And beyond that, they have stated that you will not be eligible for a Razzie Award unless you are 18 years or older now. Fair. The rules have been changed. I, I, I respect that. So, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Unfortunately, we were not there yet here. All so. right. Well, that's important. Um, now, she did not win that. Good, because she shouldn't. No, that's just me. It's mean. It's mean. It's incredibly mean, and we don't like it. No. Everybody else in this movie, fair fucking game. Fair fucking game, yo. All right. It was nominated for worst screenplay. Absolutely deserved. And won. (laughs) Fair. There were two other actresses nominated for worst supporting actress. Okay. Ratanya Alda for Carol Ann. Not deserved. She's really good. She's one of the most even. People in the film. Yeah. And Diana Scarwood, who won. Okay. Fair. I'm sorry. That's just so mean. <sighs> I mean, I get it, but it's mean. We're supporting actor. Steve Forrest won. Fair. Whatever. <laughs> He's so bad. Yeah. The interesting thing is, like, Faye Dunaway is clearly doing shit. Yes. Like, she's so bad, she's good. Steve Forrest is just one of the truly worst performances I've ever watched. Okay. Worst actress, Faye Dunaway won, but she tied oh. with Bo Derek from Tarzan the Ape Man. Oh, uh, I just listened to the You Must Remember This that covered that uh, movie. Um, so that was, that was very interesting. Uh, that has Miles O'Keefe, who was also in Cave Dwellers. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, there, deserved. <laughs> uh, both of them would also get nominated uh, for Legacy Awards down the road, but uh, Aww, I'll mention them. them. Uh, worst Director, Frank Perry, is nominated. Good for him. He loses to Michael Cimino for Heaven's Gate, the film that infamously lost so much money at the box office. Cost overruns. And this is a man who had just got, come off of The Deer Hunter, which is like an incredible movie. No, oh, he rose too quickly. I, I don't know. Heaven's Gate is one of those where I think it's been, it was regarded as bad in its time, but some people have gone back and be like, okay, actually, it's pretty good. It just was never going to make any money. And it was nominated for Worst Picture, which it won. Oh, how nice for it. He's <laughs> a winner at being bad. Now, in 1990, they did their Worst of the Decade. Oh, jeez. Now, both Bo Derek and Faye Dunaway were nominated for Worst Actress of the Decade. Mm-hmm. I believe Bo Derek might have won that one. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But the winner for Worst Picture of the Decade is Mommy Dearest. So that makes me, it makes me think that 
when we're done with this 80s series, we need to do a high-low of the films we watched. We should. We should do. We should do a high-low. And then, in 2005, they had separate categories for worst movies. Oh, okay. It was nominated for the worst drama of our first 25 years, and they put drama, comedy, and musical in scare quotes. Fair. And I will not reveal any winners here because I think this might be a great series down the road. Okay. Well, so, we'll let it be. It, we'll, it's definitely a contender. We'll let it be. But um, it is a legendary movie in Razzie circles. Well, I'm glad we finally watched it. For if, if, if only for that. All right. A few extra pieces of trivia here. Apparently, the wire hanger issue was based on Joan's mother working in a dry cleaner during one of her toughest periods while growing up. Hmm. So that apparently was a trigger for her where she recalled all the the difficult times she had to go through. One sequence that got cut was Christina running away from home and Joan driving to look for her. The vintage cars caused such a stir that it backed up traffic. And one such person stuck in the traffic was Barbara. Uh-oh, Barbara don't like traffic. Uh, well, apparently Barbara spent time with Faye in between takes. That feels weird. Ew. And suspicious. Ew, Barbara. Paramount hoped to get a life cover story for the movie, having Faye pose for George Hurl to recreate portraits that he had made of Joan for MGM. Hmm, okay. Life did a mock-up of the cover and tested it with consumers. And they instead were more interested in a story about the lack of fresh water. Okay. The cover was then changed to, quote, are we running out of water? With the hurl photos being buried in the latter part of the magazine. Hmm, Interesting. (laughs) Amazing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The set of the soap Christina appears on is the exact same kitchen set of Happy Days. Oh, nice. Paramount is the one movie studio Joan Crawford never made a movie for. Oh, okay. And we talked about the inaccuracies, specifically that Christina pointed out her mother never hit her with a hanger. Mm-hmm. However, according to Ritanya Alda, she once looked in Christina Crawford's actual closet and saw actual wire hangers. Mm. <laughs> and that brings us to ratings. Oh, geez. For every film, we have a specific rating system. Oh, come on, Diana. You know what it is? It's wire hangers. No wire hangers! Except I'm not going to give it no wire hangers. No. <sighs> hmm. This is technically my movie because I have seen, I had seen bits of it before. So you say. I mean, like, they, they used to edit this for TV. So, like, I remember it being on and being like, what the fuck is going on with these people? um this is this is my first time like actually sitting down that is that is an absolutely perfect reaction to watching part of this movie like (laughs) what the fuck are these people going on about yeah like it's i i i was a child who had a tv in my bedroom um but like we didn't have cable it was only like network television but like that's what's playing while i'm playing legos or barbie That is the absolute perfect reaction. I love it. <laughs> what the fuck are you watching? What the fuck am I watching? What the fuck is going on with these people? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's totally. What was that? Oh, hmm. The costumes are legit amazing, and you have to give it up for the makeup because they really did make Faye look like Joan. I, uh, this is a two. I feel like it's a two. Oh wow! Like I didn't hate it. 
I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? And it does, like, I will say this. It makes me want to know more about what the real story is. Like, like who who exaggerated? Who is not is hiding something? Like, it makes me want to know what is what is the actual story, which is somewhat intriguing. It's not good. It's not oh. a good movie. But wow. I, I feel inclined to give it two points. So there right. you go. Two, 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 wire two wire hangers. I can't go that high. That's fair. I'm going one. Okay. One wire hanger. With the caveat that this is a movie that you absolutely should sit down and watch. Yeah. But sit down and watch with the expectation of you get to laugh your way through this fucking movie. Like, Fair. Please go all out. Screen it with your friends. Laugh at it. Enjoy the wildness of the ride because it's mm-hmm. so fucking ridiculous. But it's a one. Again, the look is incredible. And as horrible as Faye Dunaway as a human being mm-hmm. and missed the mark entirely, God, she's going for it. And that is fascinating to watch at a certain point. But everyone involved had no fucking clue what they were doing. And it's not even competently made. No. Like, there's so much weird bullshit going on that at a certain point, it's just like, this is is so bad. But it is so bad still in a way that is watchable. Mm -hmm. And that's why I can't put it at, like, a slapshot territory. No. Um, But it is, it is intensely bad. And they, they they weren't lying, man. No. Okay, well, let's take a complete ridiculous fantasy of the actual truth of a situation. Okay. And go to just pure fantasy. Okay. We're going into the past, but maybe the future, but maybe we don't really know. Okay. With the beefiest beefcake that ever did beef. Oh, We're talking okay. about Conan the Barbarian. Oh geez, okay. This is another. This is another like TV movie that I was like, I don't know what's happening, but that is Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> this is very. That's the true. guy from Kindergarten Cop. I don't know what else is happening. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever had this on my radar to watch. I was like, I know this is Arnold, but like fantasy has never really been my genre. Mm-hmm. And like I've seen Terminator, so I feel pretty good about like this is early Arnold, and you can just go from there. Yeah. But Conan. I never really thought about it. So now I'm just like, well, I'm going to have to sit myself down for some high fantasy with a really big, big, muscly Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like, not even actor muscly, like still steroid muscly. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if like the the Austrian accent's still going to be just overwhelmingly bad here. Hmm. He's still figuring shit out. (laughs) His his accent has never been an issue for me when it comes to like watching. Him. No, but he he worked a lot at it to get it to where it was manageable. Yeah, a little bit less. Like I ha- we have to create a whole reason why he has an accent in every single film. Eh, sometimes I mean, sometimes they just don't bother, and it's just like eh, it's just there. He's Arnold. Who cares? <laughs> Which I'm totally fine with. Yeah, I am too. I just think like I don't know. This is going to be really interesting because it's such a unique period for him. Yeah. It's before the Terminator. The Terminator is what made him, everybody except him, is like, we don't fucking care what role you put him in. He's Arnold and we'll watch him. Yeah, that's the thing that be, his voice would became so specific that they just, it was like, that's just, this is what you get. Mm-hmm. Which is totally so, fine. Like, I'm not, I'm not shitting on that at all. And then, you know, a ton of fucking swords. I like swords. Mm. I'm into swords. Swords and loincloths? Mm. Depends on who's wearing the loincloth. <laughs> um, it's really not my vibe, but I'm not gonna say no to it. I mean, people are attractive, you know. I'm not stubborn. 
All right. Well, until next time, have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Facebook.